Welcome to the Thyroid Fixer Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Amy, and we're diving deep into the world of hormones, especially for all you fierce women in perimenopause and menopause and anyone dealing with hypothyroidism. If you're struggling with weight gain, you feel like shedding those pounds is an impossible feat. If you're dealing with plummeting energy levels, gut-wrenching fatigue, or a libido that seems to have left town, then you're in the right place. And don't even get me started on the hair loss. If these symptoms are sounding all too familiar, you found your tribe. Welcome, because my goal is to educate, empower, and shake up your world. I want you to embrace every inch of that badass woman that you truly are. So if you're ready to dive in and fix things, let's get started. Are you finally at your wits end where you are tired of dealing with doctor after doctor? Maybe you've spent thousands on integrative or functional practitioners that have not helped you at all because they don't know the thyroid and hormones. They're not even testing properly. So come work with myself and my team. We prescribe to all 50 states and parts of Canada. I have you covered. I've been building this team for years so that I could help you no matter where you are. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, book a free application call. We're going to go over your current health situation, what worked, what hasn't worked, all the things. And then we will pair you up with the right program for you where we will do it all. You will come out the other side of the program, totally optimized, getting your life back. You're going to recognize the person you see in the mirror again. Doesn't that sound absolutely amazing? Well, it might sound... Like you don't even believe it, but I promise you, I promise you, we will take good care of you. So click the link in the show notes, book a call today, and we'll be talking to you soon. My guest today is going to talk about sex and orgasms and really cool FDA supported vibrators. And we're going to talk about libido and maybe why you don't have one. So my guest is Dr. Diane Mueller. She is a seasoned sexual wellness authority, and she blends a strong educational foundation with a rich clinical and teaching experience. So she's coming at you from the clinical side of working with patients to get your libido back. And from the teaching side, she's got dual doctorate degrees in naturopathic medicine and acupuncture and oriental medicine. And she's really, uh, what I love about her, she's illuminated the discourse on sexual health through her practice, My Libido Doc. I mean, that kind of just says it all, right? But listen, she brings empathy. She she understands what y'all are going through. And she's going to come at this conversation, this topic, again, from just a real world perspective, from a health perspective. And she's going to hit you upside the head with some things that maybe you need to do behavioral-wise in your relationship or in your own world, in your own bedroom, to kick up that libido. So please, please, please enjoy this episode and, you know, look for that vibrator link in the show notes. Dr. Diane, I'm so pumped to have you on the show today because I've talked about libido before on here, and I've dove into the many facets of Low libido, which is a huge, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a huge symptom. It's a huge concern of my patients, of my audience, my listeners. But I love having someone on here that can really dive deep, who literally specializes in libido and sexual health. And I'm just, I'm so happy that you're on here. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your time today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Dr. Amy. It's such a, such an important topic. And 
you know, it's one of these things. It's like a symptom and a root cause in certain, you know, scenarios. So I just find that it's a vicious cycle that people get into when we can have a symptom of another disease, but also a root cause of other things. So it's a very, very intricate web that we get to create and the areas that libido and low libido and sexual dysfunction can really uh, cause and impact in our lives. And I think it's a hush-hush topic too. I mean, we're, we're seeing a little bit more conversation around libido, but I think, and you you can speak on this, for women- it's almost like, oh, we we don't want we don't want to talk about sex and sexual dysfunction and our own lack of libido. Like it's okay to see erectile dysfunction commercials for guys because there's a pill for that. But then when it comes to women, it's like, oh, there's something wrong with me. I, I shouldn't have a low libido. Am I right on that? Yeah, it's it's almost like an embarrassment thing. It's also just because it's been taboo for so long. Like if you even look through the history of sex, especially for women over so many centuries, like if we go back, there's, you know, the topic of hysteria and women that are basically going through these emotional changes, right? Because naturally we have emotions as women. It's part of a healthy function. And when women would go through their normal emotional changes, they would get labeled as being hysteric and they would go to the doctor and the doctor would actually do a finger manual manipulation to bring them to orgasm. And so that's where we're coming at, you know, or that's where we're coming from as women and our knowledge of sex and our, our, our capacity to talk about it. It comes from this long lineage where it was so taboo that it was thought to only be used and, and orgasm and pleasure was only to be used in these times when the emotions were so out of balance. And then you actually had to go to a doctor. So I feel like a lot of what we're doing right now and a lot of the work I'm doing is really starting to normalize these, these conversations that have been taboo, like you're talking about. And the other interesting things is, is like, there's even some data that's come out that shows that when we talk about libido, it actually helps to improve libido. So we have to have these conversations. Okay, before we move on, I need to circle back. So women who were in a state of hysteria or just basically like anxiety and depression, as we would call it today, right? Just not sure. feeling very well, would go to their doctor, their doctor would bring them to orgasm so that they would feel better. Yeah. And it might not even be full anxiety or depression. It might be PMS. It might be just like, whoa, life got really stressful. And I just had a normal human moment. You know, there's so many things that could like lead this label to be given to a woman. And yeah, then they would see their doctor to make them normal again. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. So, okay. The takeaways are maybe you don't need your doctor to have an orgasm, <laughs> but maybe an orgasm will make you feel better and bring you, at least temporarily, a better state of mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what's also fascinating about it, right? Is like we look at sometimes sex drive as just being sex drive as like wanting to connect to a partner. And that's a beautiful thing to do. But that's kind of the one of the other hidden benefits of a healthy libido is it is used to regulate emotions and mood. Like we do see an increase in serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin. And, you know, now there's even some limited information out there that's suggesting that perhaps like oxytocin can be used intranasally for some of these things. And, and I'm using it intranasally and I, I love it. I have a long day at work. I want to get switch my mood quickly, like one spray of intranasal oxytocin, and it can get my brain so shifted into a regulatory state 
And of course, we can do that with a healthy sex drive naturally. And that's, you know, part of what we want to talk about today, I think. Oh my gosh, for sure. All right, well, stay there on the topic of oxytocin. So, because people are going to be listening to this and going, what's oxytocin? What is oxytocin? Isn't that released when I always think of when you're holding a baby or, you know, the mother's love, that kind of thing, but it's also involved in sexual chemistry and just overall feeling good. Yeah. It's, you know, it's thought of online. It's talked about online as the love hormone or the cuddle hormone, right? And yeah, the love of a baby is like a classic way that that oxytocin is released and that bonding moment that mothers and babies have right at that birthing moment, like all of that is part of oxytocin. But we use oxytocin throughout our life. We use it essentially when we cuddle, when we pet dogs. Cuddle, by the way, and touch is a good reason for foreplay, right? Because oxytocin is helping you to feel safe, is helping you to feel desire, all these different things. And so that's another reason why having some foreplay before going into sex and more, say, the act, we could call it, is really, really important because of that buildup that comes with oxytocin. So it's this hormone. And it regulates so many different things in our body. And this is why I feel so passionate about this topic is because I feel like a healthy sex drive is related to things, other other things we talk about all the time in functional medicine, you know, good sleep, a healthy social connection, positive relationships, a low stress response. And when we see oxytocin, it actually will lower cortisol. That's why I use it at night to help my cortisol come down at the end of the day. So it lowers cortisol, it improves sleep, it possibly might even contribute to weight maintenance because of its ability to lower cortisol. And of course, from like a social isolation standpoint and a partnership standpoint, it makes us feel great when we're with a group of friends and we're we're like embraced in a big hello or goodbye hug, right? All of that bonding is oxytocin. And of course, it's released at orgasm. But what's interesting about this is females will release a high amount of oxytocin very, very early on with orgasm, meaning like like it's the predominant orgasm hormone for women. Men, however, they actually don't use oxy. They do secrete oxytocin at orgasm, but for them, they actually secrete a lot of another hormone called vasopressin. And that's one of the reasons why the experience of orgasm and the bonding that happens, the way we bond in relationship or in partnership is slightly different throughout sexual experiences. All come, it all comes from these hormones. Fascinating. I love this. Okay. We haven't talked about this on the podcast yet. So this is good. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> I love this. Okay. So going back to libido, connect it for me. You mentioned cortisol. So we know cortisol is tied to stress. And I've talked about high cortisol, its effect on the thyroid, very inflammatory, you know, can affect, like you said, weight, because when we're all stressed out, it starts affecting our blood sugar. But what's that libido stress thyroid connection? Yeah. So there's obviously, like you said, that that cortisol and thyroid connection. There's a couple of different ways we can look at this, though. We can look at the fact that if cortisol is dysregulated, it's if it's maladaptive, meaning it's sometimes high when it's low, sometimes low when it's high, it's just not working right. Oxytocin can help, especially with bringing those peaks down and bringing things back into normal range. But here's another interesting thing. So we know that you know, certain things that create like oxidative stress on the body can be hard on the glands, can be hard on the thyroid. 
and you know, we can say this for any gland, but the thyroid is one of them, right? So we see that pro-inflammatory cytokines, these molecules in the body that are very inflammatory, that impact us systemically, that oxytocin will actually help to reduce those. So it's going to reduce inflammation. So that's, you know, that's a little bit more indirect, say, association than oxytocin, cortisol, thyroid. But there is, you know, a potential if the inflammation is actually coming back and impacting the thyroid, there's potential then for oxytocin to lower that inflammation, taking the pressure off of really the entire body from an inflammatory perspective. But in this example, definitely the thyroid could be a component of that. Okay. And then how are we tying that back to that, that just basic drive? Like I don't, when the women say, I don't want to have sex with my husband anymore. I love him. I still think he's hot, but I just don't feel it. It's that, that initial feeling of like, Ooh, Hey, let's have some fun tonight. It's just not there with these ladies. And I know so many listening are nodding their head. Like, yeah, that's my problem. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know everybody, a lot of people are nodding their head too, because that's what I hear as well. And you know, there is the base of tie it to thyroid, right? There is a basic level of this connection where if you are feeling tired because your thyroid isn't working, no, like you're trying to survive. You're trying to get through the work, the kids, everything else. Like where's the energy for sex? So I'm going to bring it to a much more primitive thing here in a moment, but just to start with that primal, like thyroid driver around, like if I don't have energy to get up and take care of my kids or my work or both and and my exercise and all the things, where is going to be the energy to actually have sex, right? So that is one basic level. But that drive, that passion, you know, that whole thing of like, wow, I met this man or this woman. I was like so excited about him. And then there's that passion and that desire. And then it goes away. Well, what's happening there largely is related to dopamine, And so dopamine is our huge motivation hormone. And we all have this like basic level of dopamine, right? So everybody has a basic level, say a threshold of dopamine. And then in health and in normal functioning of dopamine, dopamine is our motivation system and also a reward system. So if I'm thinking about sex, if I'm thinking about chocolate cake, if I'm thinking about something else that's going to bring me pleasure, I get a dopamine hit thinking about it. And the longer I go without having that, the more dopamine I get. And then I get my reward and I get more dopamine. And then all of a sudden I get satisfied, right? So that's basically how this is supposed to work in health. And so if you look at the beginning of a relationship, it's okay, is he gonna call? Is he gonna text? Oh, he did. Oh, there's our date. We have a date on Wednesday. It's only Sunday. When am I going to talk? Like all those things, right? All that normal part. It's dopamine, 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 dopamine reward. We got a reward. And then most people don't move in with somebody after the first date. So most of the time you're going to have this long refractory period. The dopamine normalizes. You starts building again. One of the things that happens in monogamy and in long-term monogamy is this whole pathway becomes these shorter and shorter periods. So there's no time for the dopamine system to truly reset and rebuild. So there goes away motivation. And there also goes away as a level of that, that huge reward. So one of the ways of working with this, I mean, it is really, really important to have 
if you can, to create intentional space. And obviously most people that are in long-term monogamous relationships live together. So how do you take intentional space? Maybe it's, do you have a couple kids? Maybe it's one of you guys goes out with this kid one night. One of you guys out, go out with that kid another night. It's special mom and daughter, dad and son date, whatever it is. And you start finding ways to create space. And then in that space, slowly beginning to text flirt and do all those things that you did at the beginning of the relationship. And what you're doing is you're building that dopamine, you're building that dopamine, you're building that dopamine. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I know. I think about when when the person you're with goes away, like they have to go on a business trip or they went on, you know, a guy trip or whatever. And then you just start thinking, you're like, you know, I I, I, I kind of can't wait for them to come back. And then you have the best sex ever for one time when they come back. And then it kind of goes back into, so if you could incorporate that more without having to actually take a trip to a different state in order to get that dopamine rush, create it, like you said, intentionally in your monthly schedule and make yeah. that. Yes, monthly. And then the other thing that I love, and I got this originally from Kim Anami, who I, she's a sex therapist I really like, and date nights. And date nights are different because date nights are different than like going out. Like, I don't mean like, oh, you know, schedule your local dinner date, whatever. Right. I mean, sex date nights. And so even if it, if you can once a week, you can get a sex date night in once a week where then all week long, it's like working on building up to that night. And another thing with dopamine, another thing that drives dopamine is novelty. So I really, really am kind of obsessed with the concept of novelty and monogamy. Like how do we, especially when people have been together 20 and 30 and 40 years, how do we create that novelty, right? Mm -hmm. So different date nights, the idea is bringing something new to the table as much as possible. And that can be as simple as of a different position. It can be a sex toy. It can be a different way of setting up the room. It can be, you know, go to hotel for one night, you know, local hotel, even if it's just two hours and you have to go back for the kids, your libido will actually thank you for finding different ways. And then once you have this novel item in mind, then that's where you can text flirt about it all week leading up to your date night. Again, just adding this, this dopamine thing. And one thing that this is that I want to say here is if you've been out of this world, especially with your partner for a while, this might feel awkward, especially if you are in a you know period of life where maybe you haven't even had sex for a while. There's no way to get around some of the awkwardness of this as far as like it's it's like a new it's a new habit. It's a new skill. So it is going to feel awkward. And there's just like an element of needing to rip off the Band-Aid and just being OK with like you might send a text and it might not land well. You know, you might get one back and you might give the wrong flirty answer, right? But the idea is you're you're practicing the skill just like any skill or anything we do in health. It's like a new habit that you're really working to, to begin. Well, and I think it's also just like communication where you have to learn your partner's love language. And when we say that, you know, we think about it in well, does he like to hear that I love him or give a gift? But there's also like the sex language and, yes. and that can extend into text flirting, like you're saying. So maybe your significant other really likes to be built up like, oh, honey, you know, you're so large, whatever. I don't know. But you have to find what is going to speak to them. And like you said, you might send a text of, I don't 
see, I'm getting really, we're gonna have to put an E on this for explicit, but Hey, my panties are off. And he's like, yeah. So like, what are you doing? You washing clothes? Right. You have to find, (laughs) you have to find what's going to get you to into that rhythm of a back and forth heated text string. And it might be during the day when he's at work and he knows that he can't do anything about it. But then when he comes home, oh my God, or it might be when you're, you know, at the kid's soccer game, you're like, oh, I wish we could just meet in the bathroom for a hot second, right? Build that up and see where that goes from there. I love that. Yeah, exactly. And then I uh, reminded of a time I texted a partner, a very explicit picture of myself. And I got a text back, which is, would you mind doing my laundry? It was like, like he was so involved in his work and his task of the day. He couldn't even like, he could, it, it didn't even like make him break state. Yeah. So it was definitely one of those like piercing, like I went through all of this, like felt like set up and, you know, right. everything to make the picture like wonderful and super sexy and all these things. So those are the kind of things that, you know, I think it's just good to be aware of you know, that, that they might happen. And that's part of this. And it's no different in many ways, like to going to the gym and starting a new exercise routine and you're on it. And then like, it seems really good. And then all of a sudden you pull a muscle and you have to rehab for a couple of weeks and build yourself back. Like things are going to happen. It's not going to be perfect. So just cutting yourself some grace. And, and I also love that you brought up the, the bathroom because that's another fun way of making things novel, right? It's just like, what are the new locations? Like, you know, if you like doing it out of the house, awesome. That's super fun. But even within your house, like, you know, I have, I have some friends that love closet sex, like going into the closet and going into different rooms of the house. It just adds a level of secrecy and novelty and that sort of thing. So just not being afraid to mix it up. Exactly. I love that. I love that. And I love that we were just being so open because I think, again, this is a topic that people even shy away from talking about on podcasts. They're like, oh, you know, will my audience take offense? Sex is normal. If you take yes. offense to this, well, number one, you're listening to the wrong podcast. And, and number two, I mean, come on, you have to come into life. And life is not about hiding. Sex is is a normal built in. I don't know. How would you describe it, Diane? It's just it's normal. It's part of it's like breathing. I I mean, I, what I say on my podcast is it's as normal and part of health as sleep, exercise and good food. Right. And you know, it's like we were taught so many of us at, at such a young age through society and programming that pleasure is just this like almost hedonistic thing that we shouldn't prioritize. But when we look at all of the different pleasure receptors we have, you know, we are in a very, very, very erotic being as humans. And it's not just like the clitoris for women or the G spot, right? We have like erogenous zones all around our body, men and women do. You know, even like there's even people that report like elbow orgasms, right? Because of erotic tissue that that women can have around their orgasms. So we're built with all of these pleasure centers. Mm-hmm. And we know that the release of pleasure helps with bonding and closeness and safety, safety and stress and all these different things we're talking about. So we got to normalize talking about sex. We got to make it like, you know, talking about food or anything else on a level, you know, adulthood. I'm not saying we start this, you know, there's age appropriate times for this, of course, but with, you know, certain considerations, like, like really normalizing it. So people have a safe space to go and to learn how to really engage in this part of themselves, I think is essential. Yeah. A hundred percent. I agree. We talked a little bit about thyroid 
cortisol, stress tied to libido. We will definitely talk about other causes because whenever I talk about libido, there's so many different causes of low libido. So we're going to, we're going to save that. We're going to put that right here. We're going to come back to it. I want to talk about what is normal because I'm sure as we're talking about the openness of talking about sex, women out there are like, well, should I want it five days a week? Should I want it once a week? Like what is a normal quote unquote libido? Thank you so much for asking this question. I think it's such an important one. And you know, to, to take it truly medical, which I think is a little bit silly from a, once I say what I'm going to say, but to start medical, low libido classically is hypoactive sexual desire disorder, which is defined by having a low sex drive for six months or more. And what's silly about the medical definition is that's how you can get a medical diagnosis of low libido, right? Is that essentially medical disorder? And I say that with air quotes for anybody who's listening. And so the thing about that that's so silly is, again, if I say what that is, it's a low sex drive for six months. So even in the way we define it medically, we don't really define it. So there's not a, a truly a definition for what is low. So the way I have come to define it is and when you listen to the impacts of low libido, like what having a lower libido could do, it could impact stress, impact relationships, even lower things like self-confidence and body image and we see in the research. It could you know, change the way you process inflammation. It could change your joy, right? And so if you're hearing any of this and you're like, wow, I could, these things, like I could use more of these things. I could use a better stress response. I could use better relationships with my partner. I could use more self-confidence. I could use better regulation of my stress and thyroid hormones. If any of that sounds like you, it perhaps could be improved by working on your libido. So that's how I, I look at it less as like, because it's truly a tricky thing to just say what's normal. I look at it as less of what's normal and what's not. And more as, could your life, your relationships, your well-being, your relationship with yourself and your partner be improved by improving your libido? And if so, then it's worth working on. And that could be if you're ha at a point where you're having sex once every six months, once a month, once a week, once a day, whatever it is. If you're if you're in like in any of those areas and you're like, yeah, improving my libido might help me with some of these things, then it's worth working on. Absolutely. And finding that happy medium with a partner, because if your partner wants it seven days a week and you're like, I can muster four, right? Just find that happy medium with your partner and let that be another point of communication too. I really think you can come to an agreement on how often you're having sex. Am I wrong on that? Like how do, how do couples talk about how often they should incorporate in a sex date? You're asking me the best questions. I really, really look at this discussion less as a compromise and more as being creative because I think there's a way where couples can come together and find something, some way that makes them sexually satisfied where whoever is the partner that's like, say on the, the trailing end of the frequency doesn't feel like, oh my gosh, now I have to do it again. And the other person isn't feeling like they're not getting their needs met, right? Mm -hmm. So what is creative here? So creative in part is by having conversations and openly talking about what say sex provides 
you know, emotional closeness, these sorts of things, maybe determining if there's other ways that some of those things can be provided without sex. So in the partner that wants it less, maybe perhaps they can still provide some of those other things to that other partner in other ways that are actually not through sexual intimacy. So finding out what it provides, also finding out like truly from like talking like in details, finding truly out in the sexual experience, like what ways of really engaging intimately, what ways are you actually being able to be so, so fully sex, sexually fulfilled? Because sometimes it's that, you know, somebody thinks they want it, want it seven days and that feels really important. But if they actually could have, you know, sex in, you know, the way that was really fulfilling to them and if it was done in the style and all of that, that they might actually be fulfilled in four days, like in your example. So right. it's really having that conversation around like, is it even, are we having the right type of sex to make us both fulfilled? And sometimes when we have these conversations, we find that the person that's not, not as interested in sex might be more interested if sex looked a different way. And they're not interested because it's not as pleasurable and maybe they're checking out or maybe it's as simple as like, I can't stay present with sex until I brain dump everything that's going on in my brain and I'm going to lose it. I'm going to get stuck in the loop. So mm -hmm. figuring out what things get you in the mood, getting out of the mood, sharing, sharing that with a partner. And that's another way that we can meet in the middle in a way that doesn't feel like, well, you said four days and I said seven days. So we're going to meet halfway kind of thing. Right. Right. And, and another, I would say hindrance to frequency for women is pain pain during intercourse because of vaginal atrophy. So as you're moving through perimenopause, menopause, estrogen starts to drop. We get that vaginal atrophy. We get the loss of lubrication. And then what I hear, and I'm sure you hear this too, Diane, is it just hurts. Like sex literally hurts. And I don't want to do it because of the pain. Yeah. This is why I'm so excited that my friends over at Mystery Vibe are doing research on this. So Mystery Vibe is this amazing sex toy company out of the UK, and they are doing international studies. They have FDA approval on some of their sex toys. And essentially, uh, with one of their uh, sex toys, they call the Crescendo for women, they've actually found that over a 12-week period, three times a week use of their vibrator, five times reduction in pelvic pain in 12 weeks. So yeah, this is, and this is like amazing, right? Because we get like a two part answer with this where it's like, nobody wants to have sex if they're in pain, right? That's right. horrible, right? That's going to create the negative feedback loop. And there's definitely can be trauma with that and nervous system dysregulation that needs to be deprogrammed. But now we have this device, right? That now we're seeing like use of this device, not only is fixing the problem, but it's also a sex toy. So you're also learning your body. You're also gaining more self-confidence. You're learning your own erotic zones. So there's so much that can happen with these types of toys. Do you have like an affiliate link because sales and crescendo probably are just going to increase yeah. exponentially from you saying that? I do. I will get that to you. They're okay. they're an amazing company. I'm just excited, like I said, about everything they're you know that's coming out, like prostate health for men, and they have men and women's devices, and it's pretty cool to be using pleasure toys that are actually research devices. That's. Awesome. Yeah. I'm going to buy one. So definitely send me, send me the affiliate link. We're going to put that in the show notes. hundred percent. Sure. <laughs> okay. So what about the women? And I have heard this before and I just, I personally can't wrap my mind around this, but I, 
I've heard it enough times to know that it wasn't just a one-off comment from somebody. This is a thing. Women who literally say, listen, I've had my kids. I really don't care whether I have sex again for the rest of my life. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? But, you know, they're like, no, seriously, I don't care. Now, let's unpack that because there's a mental component to that. But then there's a health component because you're saying there's value in repairing your libido for other areas of your health, right? Yeah. I mean, in my mind, I hear, I, I appreciate this question too, because it is an important one. Cause I hear it too. I, I hear this actually fairly frequently around like, I don't need your work. Cause I don't actually care if I have a libido. And to me, sometimes those are the people that I'm actually like most concerned with from a, like from an unpacking standpoint, like you use, like the word you use to start at the very, very basic level of low libido is a symptom, right? And so from even, even if your motivation is not, I want to get my libido back, it's the orientation to like, why do I wake up with wrist pain every day, right? It's a symptom and it's the body trying to tell us something. And yes, libido declines in age somewhat for some people, but you also have to remember that nursing homes are one of the top like ways that, or places that STIs are transmitted, right? So like people are like effectively having sex, like very, very, very much into their later years. And so looking at libido as a symptom and then starting from like the foundational level, well, what symptoms could it be? The most concerning is low libido is oftentimes an early sign of cardiovascular disease. And that's not just for men. We often think for men, like erectile dysfunction, cardiovascular disease, give Viagra, right? Mm -hmm. But for women, we actually see that vaginal dryness, while it has a hormonal component, has this blood flow component and that blood flow is actually supporting the hormonal component of the, you know, things like lubrication for women. So we see that low libido could mean women and men cardiovascular, we get the cardiovascular fix and then all of a sudden sex drive comes back, right? So it might not be that, that driver, but I'm hoping everybody that's listening is like, even if you're not motivated to say have sex, then maybe you can be motivated to figure out like what is say out of balance with your system that is creating a situation where you're not living at your full vitality. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I had no idea that it was connected to any kind of cardiovascular connection. So that is fascinating. That's fascinating. And then we can tie it back to, well, maybe you need hormone replacement. Maybe we need to look at your stress level, your cortisol, your adrenals, your thyroid, your insulin, your glucose, all of the things that are contributing to your low libido. Like you said, that's a sign. That's a like your body's saying, hello, let's dive a little bit deeper because something's not right here. This isn't normal. This isn't normal. Yeah, exactly. And all those things you mentioned, right? And thinking about other things like GABA and our neurotransmitters and anything that's going to cause inflammation, you know, can potentially do this. And I say that because in my other practice where I treat a lot of chronic conditions. And we do a lot of work with chronic neuroinflammatory things, mold toxins and and the like. And we see, I see in that practice, even though I don't focus on libido, I see in that practice that when I focus on these other things and we get the inflammation down, we get the toxins down, the libido comes back, even though that's not why those people are seeing me. So it's very, it's so, there's so many different things that really can be rooted here. And once the libido came back, I got a patient this week that Stuck, stuck, stuck. Next layer, we went to, she went and did IV NAD. 
the moment she did IV NAD, which is very good for the mitochondria, which is helps the mitochondria turn back on, mm-hmm. helps some longevity genes, all these things, right? She she texts and she's like, I got my like almost instantly, my libido's back. You know, it was just like instant as soon as we start figuring out some of those imbalances. So it's very, very cool when we understand how to use this as like a, a symptom and not just a, you know, a thing we're chasing. Well, I was gonna ask you what what do you see? And you kind of answered this, you can go deeper. What do you see people doing? Are we doing anything in our life or making poor choices that are actually contributing to the low libido? You mentioned toxins. So that would be one, anything else. I mean, you can expand on the toxins, but then anything else. Yeah. I mean, toxins wise, we have to think about anything from say basic hormonal you know, levels. So it's like endocrine disrupting toxins or BPAs, for example. So anything that is going to be a toxin that's going to disrupt the hormonal pathways is really what I'm saying by endocrine disrupting. So those kind of things, toxins, like I said, as far as an inflammatory perspective, we see a neurological impact on low libido toxins can inflame the nervous system. And I'm talking about toxins from metals to plastics, to pesticides, to mold on and on. Anything that can impact the nervous system can therefore impact the nervous system to our genitals, right? So this is widespread. So obviously we can see things that are disrupting to the cortisol system. When we're stressed, like we said, we typically don't want to have sex. So anything that can create a dysfunctional cortisol system. So that could be over-exercising, that could be blood sugar uh, abnormalities, that could be too much stress. So, so many of these basic lifestyle things really are at, say, the root cause. We also want to consider the basics like not exercising. And not exercising could be a simple thing like, well, we don't have like the level of typical like vasculature system working. When we exercise, we raise VEGF, that growth factor that essentially is creating new blood vessels. So we get blood circulating throughout our body and exercise does that. So we don't exercise, we don't get as much VEGF, we don't get as much circulation. So I could really go on and on and on. I don't know how much you want to keep, you want me to keep going here. No, I mean, this is, this is fantastic. So we have just basically, I was going to ask you about the exercise because just that improvement in circulation is going to be huge. What about supplementation? Well, I won't say medication because we know there's a ton of medications that can decrease libido and decrease actual performance. So it can cause erectile dysfunction. We'll set that aside. That's for a talk with your pharmacist, your medical doctor, whatever. What about supplements that people are popping? Are there any that can be harmful? And then are there any that you have found beneficial to maybe increase circulation or just improve libido overall? Yeah, I'd say across the board, the supplement that I find to be most useful, general blanket statement is DHEA. Mm-hmm. And that's for women and men. And it's because there's two different things. So DHEA is the precursor to testosterone and estrogen in our body. And DHEA has also been been shown to really help with libido. Now, DHEA declines as we age. And it's a little bit unclear research-wise if that's like a pathology or it like, like if it's a, a like abnormal thing or if it's a normal thing and it just basically happens to everybody, but it's still associated regardless with the aging process and not having stamina and drive and feeling good and and muscle and all these great things. And so most people, when I lab test, you can lab test and typically in serum, 
You want to test for the sulfate version, the DHEAS. Most women I find feel optimal from a standpoint of when their DHE levels are between 200 and 300 and men between 300 and 400. So the lab range is much more varied. So if you get this measured conventionally, you could come in at like a 57, for example, and, to and be told you're fine. And you could actually have your libido improve by taking that. So that would be like the blanket statement across the board that I find that almost everybody I test because it does lower with stress as well as age. And almost everybody I test is low. Like I'd say like probably 95% of people. So a fair, it's always good to test you guys, but a fairly like easy one to test, easy one to add in. From a blood flow, citrulline is one of the best things, L-citrulline. Citrulline will help with the production of nitric oxide, and that's going to expand. It's going to cause that vasorelaxation, going to cause more blood flow. Some people will do arginine because that's a direct precursor to nitric oxide, but the studies comparing citrulline to arginine, citrulline definitely looks like it, it truly has more of that impact of doing that, that dilation, that vasodilation, that more blood flow than arginine itself. So those are two really basic things. And of course, as I, I know we both agree, it's like always doing that lab testing to figure out like, what is the root cause so that you can tailor treatments appropriately? Yeah, 100%. Now, what about testosterone? Because DHEA is a precursor to that. What are your thoughts on testosterone levels for women, replacement with testosterone therapy? And then the third component of that question is tying in the supplement Tonkat Ali, have you gone down that rabbit hole? Because that can support, I found that supports testosterone levels naturally, but it also has some background as an aphrodisiac itself. So you kind of get double bang for your buck. So I'll hand that triple question over to you. I love it. I love it. I, you know, testosterone replacement therapy, testosterone replacement therapy can be a huge, huge, huge advantage to people. Like, Anything we want to test, you want to make sure you get you, whether you're female or male, you want to make sure you get your total levels tested as well as your free levels, the free levels being the levels that are available to your cells. I do find that lab ranges are pretty good for testosterone for women. Um, for men, lab ranges are way too wide. Like women, I like them to be on the upper end of normal, but you know, within normal men should be on like the upper, upper, upper upper end of normal way, like way yeah way, way right, there. right right <laughs> so you know lab wise like yeah women stay you know stay at normal but still take it to that upper end if you're coming in at those lower you know those lower ranges you could probably benefit and it's probably worth working with your you know working with a functional doctor to try that to see if that changes how you feel and you know beyond even libido it's like muscle growth and longevity around muscle growth and leanness and not putting on extra weight and so much of that testosterone supports, you know, with. So we definitely want to do all of that. So I think there's there's time and place for that. I've seen the way that we apply this vary from, from person to person. I'm not really a super big fan of pellet therapy just because of the oscillations that we see and like, mm -hmm. you know, the blood, I really don't like that, but I've seen topical work. Well, I've seen women do very well with trochees. So those are the two, two types of methods that I tend to go, you know, most, you know, most into as far as testosterone replacement, and then just make sure you're monitoring your levels. You know, that's really the big thing. Just make sure you're looking at that. Now, when we're talking about other supplements, Tonkat Ali, I love, I love, I love that herb. 
There's another one out there too, Tribulus. And Tribulus yep. has some studies as well and people use it. But I got to tell you, like Tonkat Ali, I've seen so many better results than Tribulus. Like I just see, like hear people report easier, quicker symptoms. I've seen labs change better. Like Tribulus, I've tried a lot and I, other people might have different experience with it as far as the results. But from what I've seen, I've been pretty underwhelmed with Tribulus as compared to Tonkat Ali. Yeah. I love Tonka. I, I have to, I have Tonka and Tribulus and the hormone fixer, so they kind of work yeah. synergistically. But the uh, studies on Tonka, I mean, it it just does so much. And the fact yeah. that it can stimulate growth hormone, can increase your test naturally, and works as an aphrodisiac, I think that's perfect for the low libido scenario. 100%. I don't, couldn't agree more. And yeah, you know, it's always good too to make sure too, if you're a man listening to this, like especially men, women too, but especially men, making sure you're monitoring your uh, DHT as well, because we can spike that. So see, making sure that you're not over, over converting to that potent form of testosterone, because that could happen. And and women typically notice it faster than, than men, I find symptom wise. Right if that's happening, but you know, then there's always saw palmetto, of course, if that happens and you can love even that. it out. Absolutely. <laughs> love that too. So there are, I mean, there's significant power in supplements if you know what to use and you're using them properly. But again, kind of going back to what you've been saying, just work with somebody like try not to just toss things in willy nilly or at least get some testing done so you can know your levels too. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Because it's like anything we're talking about, right? Like while these are the root causes, if they're not, and this is not the problem, you can actually throw off your levels and create a different new problem that then you have to deal with. So it's it's definitely best to really get in and, and fix that right from the beginning for sure. Oh, Diane, you've been so, uh, this is, oh, I, I'm just speechless. I'm rarely speechless. I'm normally full of words, but I'm, this has been, <laughs> this has been so cool. Like this has just been, I sound like a kid now. Like this has just been awesome. This is a topic that we needed to dump like this. We need to speak freely. We need to be explicit. We need to talk about this and we need to talk about all the things from sex toys to pleasure, to orgasm, to spending time with your partner, to the oxytocin, to the reasons, to the health consequences. I mean, it's just been fantastic. So you can see I'm kind of excited about releasing this podcast. That's how I feel every day with this topic. <laughs> need it. I know this guy, this has to like fuel you and just, yeah. I mean, you've got, you got to have a whole lot of happy patients out there. That they're <laughs> like, woo. Thanks, Diane. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> it's a pretty amazing work for sure. <laughs> it is. It is. So you actually, you have a, a, a freebie for my peeps too. It's I an do. ebook, Fix My Libido and Hormones video ebook, which is kind of sweet because not everybody likes to read. So I like to watch videos too. So we're going to put that in the show notes, but can you tell people where they can find more of you and more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So my website's super easy. It's mylibidodoc.com. So you can learn about how to work with me, about classes I offer. I have so many cool things coming down the pipeline. I have a sexual health summit that is coming up here. It'll start December 12th. So I have 53 speakers from around the world that I am co-hosting and co-interviewing with Dr. Betsy Greenleaf, an amazing board-certified gynecologist that I know you also know. 
And so that's exciting. So if you if you guys download my ebook, I, I will have your email and I would definitely recommend to do that because then I can let you know when we have the summit link that's coming out. So you can get registered for that. You can listen to all 53 speakers for free. It's live streamed. It's super fun. And then beyond that, I definitely want to let everybody know about my Libido Lounge podcast. So that's where you can find out more information on all of these topics and a whole lot more. And that's really it. Absolutely love it. Thank you so much, Diane. This has been fantastic. And we will put all, all your links and put all of them in the show notes. Thank you, everybody.